Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 139 of X Lapsed, where we are doing our very first Reign of X Wave 1 number 1. Um, I want to say, uh, since I just received my DCBS order that came with a Marvel Previews catalog, I think we're up to four of these Reign of X Wave 1 books here. Uh, we have the one that we'll be discussing today, Sword, Volume 2. There's also Way of X. There's also Children of the Atom, which they promise is eventually coming out, despite the fact that it's been pushed back forever. Um, and then I was surprised to see one called X-Core, or X-Corp, um, which I believe is a five- or six-issue miniseries that we'll be getting eh, probably in May or June, I believe. So our Reign of X... Uh, Cup sure do runneth over. Really looking forward to it. So uh, let's let's kick it off here with uh, with our discussion of Sword, Volume Two, Number One. This had a February 2021 cover date. The story is called Mysterium, written by Al Ewing and art by. Oh boy, how do I say this name? Um, Valerio, S C H I T I. I don't want to say it phonetically. Um, Valerio will say Sheedy. Hmm? Okay. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Ariana Mar. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $5. This one went on sale December 9, 2020. So what is Sword? What is Sword? Now, we saw a little bit of Sword in our, uh, well, X of Swords uh, deal that we just wrapped up. And I suppose we could start by getting the anagram out of the way, because this is not just S.W.O.R.D., it's S-W-O-R-D, which stands for Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Now, their first appearance was in Astonishing X-Men number 3. This is the ongoing Astonishing, uh, September 2004 cover date. So they are a Joss Whedon contribution to the X-Men lore, which is probably the main reason why they're still around. Now, they couldn't carry their own ongoing series back in 2010, 2011 or so, but I suppose we're hoping things will be different now. Personally, uh, I mean, you know me in space stuff. <laughs> um, this feels like it might just be a little bit of bloat and uh, kind of a concept that maybe still can't carry its own ongoing series, you know? Uh, if this were a mini, might feel a little differently about that, but as an ongoing... I'm not sure how to feel. Let's let's check out the issue and see if my uh, if my thoughts change in the process here. 
So we open on uh, one of those mostly blank quote pages, only it's not a white page. It's uh, got like a, uh, a space background here. The quote comes from Abigail Brand, who is Sword's snarky station commander. And uh, she always kind of reminded me of like a lesser Maria Hill, but now she's just got the haircut to match. Anyway, this page has five words on it. This is what comes next. Then, comics, and we see a metal orb flying from the Earth up to the sword satellite, the peak. Now we can see that the satellite is now covered in lush green, likely a sign that there's some Krakoa plant hoodoo and tech in the mix now. We get an info page, and it's a chain of command chart, which is pretty cool. It in introduces us to our entire crew, and I suppose we can also call this a roll call, and we'll, uh, we'll go through the line here. Now atop the chain are Brand, the station commander, and Magneto, the council representative. Down a level we meet a group called the Six, not to be confused with the Five, also not to be confused with the Six from Mutant X, I, I would assume. Now they have a tech team, and it's a one-man operation, and it's represented by WizKid. Y'all remember WizKid? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only reason he was included, so all of us who do remember him can say, hey, I remember him. Then we've got Logistics, and it's led by Manifold. Below him are the Teleportation Team, which includes Blink, Lila Cheney, Gateway, a Vanisher, and Amelia Vought. Then we have our Medical Resources, and uh, this kind of ruins the surprise of, a, of an appearance later on, but I think we all know that Fabian Cortez is going to be part of this book, but... Uh, it would have been neater to have that as a surprise. And he is listed as an executive producer, which uh, might mean he does nothing. I don't know. Next up, the Diplomacy Department, which is led by Frenzy. And below her is an ambassador in training, Armor. Then a galactic ambassador in Pybok, a Skrull who is part of the Kree Skrull Alliance, which I'm assuming is a pretty new thing because last I knew they fought like cats and dogs, so... I suppose they allied in a story that either I didn't read or one that I had purged from my memory. Then we got our security team. It's led by Kid Cable, whose solo book I hope doesn't get all mucked up with sword stuff. I really would like to keep them separate. Uh, below him are subdirectors in Random and Risk. Finally, Observation, which is led by, well, a redacted person, Unknown. Below the redacted person is Peeper. You all remember Peeper? Well, you will. So uh, this is kind of one of them, what I would call an Alvaro team, right? We got WizKid, Random, Peeper. Uh, the Alvaro teams is a, is a reference to the old Alvaro uh, comic boards, which I think are still a thing. I'm pretty sure the last time I looked they were still around, but I first found them in the mid-'90s, and it felt like every single post was... Some sort of a take on, hey, wouldn't it be cool if... And they would list, like, the most mishmashed random team ever. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if if Polaris led a team that had uh, the fourth and sixth Guthrie kids and Blink and uh, Lockheed the Dragon, you know? And and maybe we'll throw a villain in there, too. Mesmero. We'll throw Mesmero in there. And that, that seemed to be what, like, every other post on these boards were. So this kind of feels to me like a, hey, here's some random people. Here's some weirdos, but hopefully there's a, a little bit more substance to this than uh, those message board posts and suggestions. Now, it's worth noting that this crew is assigned to Redacted X. I'm not sure who this might be, and uh, 
at the moment, I'm not terribly interested. Hopefully that'll change. Anywho, we get back to comics, and we see that the metal orb that arrived at the station actually contained Magneto, who is immediately greeted by Kid Cable. Now, Kid Cable is flanked by Random and Risk. Cable immediately makes fun of Magneto for being old, and uh, suggests he might possibly die of old age soon. And I didn't realize they had quite this chummy a relationship, but whatever. Anyway, Cable asks what Magneto's doing here, to which we learn that he's here on behalf of the Quiet Council to perform an inspection. Magneto then meets up with Abigail Brand. Now, she's surprised that uh, Magneto would travel to the satellite under his own power, you know, via that metal orb thingy, rather than just walking through a gateway. And it's a good question, but if I were to hazard a guess as to why he did that, uh, I think he only came that way in order to facilitate the semi-cinematic opening few pages we got, where we can actually see the size and scope of this, uh, of this vessel and the trip. Next up, an info page, and it's from the pages of Abigail Brand's personal log, and oh boy, this is a long one. And I gotta say, her writing style feels like when you're writing a term paper, and you find out you have like a minimum word count you gotta meet, so you, uh, you suddenly like break up every contraction, and you repeat yourself just like changing a few words around just to like push your point and get you to that limit. It's a lot of words here. A lot of words. Back to comics. Magneto meets up with Wizkid, and we get a page of uh, making fun of Wizkid's name. Okay. Brand informs Magneto that Takeshi is one of the six, which changes Magneto's tune a bit. He's suddenly much more amenable to being nice to him. Then we get a bit of a debate about the methodology and goals of S.W.O.R.D. And I feel like this might just be the straw that stirs the drink for this series, at least early on, maybe just the first arc. You never know. Now we have Magneto, of course. He is Ra-Ra Krakoa, you know, through and through. And he views S.W.O.R.D. as an extension of Krakoa, working with Krakoa as its top priority. Now, Brand doesn't outright disagree, however, feels S.W.O.R.D. should be focused not so much on just one nation, but maybe broadening the scope to the entire world and universe. And the debate really doesn't go all that far. They kind of just agree to disagree, but it's very, very well done here that we have the representative of the Quiet Council viewing this entire enterprise as one thing, but the person, the operations manager of the enterprise, maybe feels like the scope should be broadened to not just protecting one country, not just representing the interests of one country, but realizing that there's a wider world and universe out there. It's very, very well done, and I like this. I hope there's more, I hope there's more of this uh, moving forward. Next, we are off to the diplomatic suite where Magneto checks in on Frenzy. Now, she's practicing diplomacy, by beating the hell out of Pybok. Magneto then meets Pybok. Brand tells him that since the Kree and Skrull have allied, they're now equal in power to the Shi'ar. So this, uh, this Kree-Skrull alliance is just as strong as the Shi'ar. Um, and to be honest, I hate everything about that sentence, mostly because I couldn't give a rat's ass about any of them. I hope we don't get more of that. Now, Brand also speaks of the Kree Skrull Emperor's mother-in-law being an enemy of the state to Krakoa, and how that might be a little inconvenient, which actually made me go and research a little bit. So, let's jump back to last fall, right? Um, the new Kree Skrull Emperor is Hulkling, and he is newly married to Wiccan, 
who was one of the Scarlet Witch's sons. So, ipso facto here, the Emperor's mother-in-law is an enemy of the state of Krakoa, the Scarlet Witch. Magneto looks forlorn as he refers to Wanda as, quote, the Pretender, which, more of that, that's fine. Now, as he and Brand head off, Pybok asks Frenzy what her relationship to Magneto was, to which she says at one point she basically worshipped him. And, well, yeah, she was one of his acolytes back in the long ago. Speaking of acolytes, uh, already spoiled it during the roll call here, but are you ready for the next encounter? It's Fabian Friggin' Cortez, who I kind of feel has been distilled Vartok style into acting a certain way simply because he looks a certain way. You know, like, uh, he, he seems to have lost a lot of his depth here. He's acting like quite the ponce, right? Which really wasn't the vibe I'd gotten from him during his earlier appearances. I mean, he was a scumbag and a conniver, but here he's coming across like a, like a butt-kissing Eddie Haskell type. Which, maybe we can massage that into work in here, but it feels kind of strange. Um, it's worth noting, uh, the art in this scene, and actually throughout the entire issue, has been quite excellent. But I'm especially loving the expressions on Magneto and Brand's faces here as Fabian Cortez just waxes on very poetically about, uh, what a great asset he's going to be to this endeavor, and, uh, just really, really kissing up to Magneto. So while it doesn't really feel like the Fabian Cortez that I know and remember... I can't dislike it. It's, it's actually quite entertaining. So, turns out nobody seems all that happy to be working with Cortez because he is kind of a dick. But he fills a role that he's needed for, at least for now. I guess if they find anyone better, maybe they'll, uh, they'll dump old Fabian Cortez. Okay, next stop is the jump suite, where Magneto and we can be introduced to the teleportation team. Now, they're led by Manifold, as we talked about on the roll call, who... I don't think has ever been in an X-Book to this point. I want to say that he's a Hickman character from his Avengers run. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about him. Then Magneto is overjoyed to see his old pal, Peeper. And uh, it seems like maybe uh, this might be an exaggerated uh, reunion here, because it seems to make Cortez very sad. You see, he wants to be Magneto's best pal and lackey again, and here we have Magneto fawning over Peeper, who I want to say was a very, very short-lived ally to the Master of Magnetism here. So I feel like maybe this is a lot of this is for Fabian's benefit. But to be fair, I mean, Cortez probably only wants to be Magneto's lackey again until the opportunity presents itself to stab him in the back again, right? Now, finally, it's time to do the thing that we're here to do. So, I, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but there is, uh, there's been a mission in the works for the entire issue to this point. And uh, it's, it's, it's something. Uh, Manifold teleports the Six somewhere. But before we get into that, we've got two info pages. And it's all about the Six and their mission statement. You see, they're here to retrieve things for Krakoa. And they're referred to as a multiversal far retrieval circuit. Now, the first, first stage circuit are the teleporters, and we've met them. Blink, Chaney, Gateway, Vanisher, and Vought. The second stage circuit are the six, and we have our uh, representatives of each of these little uh, departments, I suppose, of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, the control is Wizkid, and we find out that there's a backup for him on Krakoa in Forge. The power is Fabian Cortez. There's a backup for him, but we don't find out who it is. 
The shield is armor, and her backup is skids. The guide is manifold, and he has no Krakoan backup at the moment. The eye is peeper, and his backup is doc, whoever that is. And the foundry is risk, and her backup is zorn. So the gimmick here is that the six find the intergalactic MacGuffins, and the teleporters go and retrieve them, I think? I... I I'm not totally sure, because from here we get six pages of The Six's current mission. And it's it's a weird bunch of pages here. It's very pretty to look at, but doesn't give us much outside of some like high-concept blurbs. Like, there's no dialogue, there's no narrative captions, it's just blurbs. And a lot of these high-concepts are to the point where I feel like they would even make Jonathan Hickman raise an eyebrow and be like, whoa, you know? We've got... Mysterium Tremendum, Elemental Cosmic Hot, White Hot Room of Secret Fire, which sounds familiar to a lot of us X-Fans, kinda, and Excelso Prey Omnibus Alice. <sighs> then, a double-page spread of creds. Huh. And this is a real throwback to the old Dawn of X look here. Uh, not sure if that's intentional or just something that is, because... Our Reign of X books have had the double-page spread of creds with the roll call. And our, sword, our X of Swords uh, double-page spread of creds were like blue. So this is a little bit different. It's a little bit of a throwback here to, I mean, a month ago. Then we get a full-page spread of the Sword satellite, which is now in geostationary orbit 22,000 miles above Kirkoa. And I wonder if there's supposed to be any sort of symbolism in an actual sword dangling over the island here, because the sword satellite, it's worth noting if you've never seen it, resembles a sword. Then, the teleporters retrieve the six, and Manifold appears holding a black angular shape. Not sure what it is, but I suppose it might just be what this opening arc is all about. I do know that we're going to be tying into the King in Black very soon, so maybe it's like a symbiote thing? I don't know. Whatever the case, Brand takes the thing and gets a full-page spread so she could say, quote, This is what comes next. And that's it. We wrap up with another quote page, and this one is from Dr. Doom. But that, my friends, is the first Reign of X, Wave 1, Number 1, Sword, Volume 2, Number 1. So let's talk about it, eh? Gotta say, I'm kind of torn on it. Kind of torn on it. Part of me... Yeah, before I talk about my feelings on it, um, let me get my preconceptions out of the way here because I went into this. You would you would picture like two very very strong people dragging me backwards. You know, I'm, my my heels are just dug into the ground and I'm scraping and I'm I'm leaving two lines of like rumpled up dirt because I'm being pulled to read this book because I really didn't wanna. I didn't wanna for a few reasons. A few of them we've already talked about. Uh, not the least of which. I hate space stuff. Space stuff is boring to me. That said, after having read it, part of me kind of digs it. Um, Part of me actively hates it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong here. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like, had this been solicited as a miniseries or maybe like a 12-issue maxi-series, if we still call them that, I think I'd be a little bit more on board with it. I just don't feel like this concept, regardless of how interesting it may be, can maintain an ongoing series. Not that Marvel's all that concerned when it comes to pulling the rug out from under an ongoing and retroactively calling it a miniseries. How you doing there, Fallen Angels? Um, 
this just seems like kind of a big ask for an ongoing. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to want to deal with space stuff on the regular. Uh, we will, since this is an all-inclusive project, but I'm hoping that the focus is going to be more on this odd array of characters than any of the high-concept stuff that we saw listed during that weird prolonged middle section, the, the, the Six's mission to get that angular little shape thing. Also, speaking of that six-page six middle section there, I hope we don't get much more of that sort of storytelling. Um, I had to flip through those several times to retain anything at all. Might just be a Chris problem. It ain't the first, won't be the last, but I didn't dig the way that this information was presented to us. I thought this was a waste of, waste of space, really. Um, and while it was pretty to look at, and it gives us some concepts... I wasn't a fan of the way it was delivered Now speaking of the missions here I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of this series is And it's kind of weird that we join Brand and company After already being assembled And seemingly fully trained for whatever their cause is going to turn out to be And that's not that I'm asking for like a six issue lead in Where our crew is assembled or anything Lord knows we get enough of that But this feels like a little too neat and tidy and at the same time, wholly disjointed from the rest of the X-Men line at this point. Taking it even further out of the X-Men line, I'm pretty sure we're either next issue or the following. We're jumping like right into King in Black, uh, which, I mean, that's another thing I'm kind of mixed on. First, I mean, let's be fair. It totally makes sense that a that a space station like like Sword would get involved with this sort of a threat, right? It would be weird if they didn't. But, on the other hand, this is a brand new series without much of an identity yet. And to drag it into a Marvel mass event right out the gate feels like maybe a little bit of a disservice here. Um, maybe a little bit of a cheat to uh, judge sales a little bit, make it seem like it's being received perhaps better than it is. It also tricks um, the completionists into buying the book that they may not be interested in and they may not stick with. But, I mean... Those are Marvel things. Those are comic things. It's not something that I need to worry about. That's uh, way above my pay grade, but it just feels a little gimmicky. And it kind of puts... I mean, I, I don't know Ewing from A Hole in the Wall. I have not read any of his work until this. So I don't know if he'll be able to maintain a high level of characterization quality while... You know, playing in the King in Black sandbox I hope he can I hope he can And I hope this isn't like some of our Exitens books Where they were, for all intents and purposes, put on hold So they could take part in a uh, bloated crossover And uh, maybe we'll get back to them now But I, I just hope we're not pushing a pause button right out of the gate here It feels kind of like a momentum killer Hopefully Ewing can prove me wrong uh, let's talk about some some things, some of my takeaways here, some of the things that I dug. Now, as irksome as I usually find, like, the LOL, here's a wacky assortment of characters, you won't believe the one you'll see on page 5 treatment, I'll concede that this is a pretty interesting wacky assortment of characters, and I do look forward to spending more time with them. I appreciated how Magneto was kind of our POV character here, uh, especially considering how many characters, how many members of S.W.O.R.D. have a history with him. I mean, we got Fabian Cortez, we got Frenzy, who was an acolyte, Amelia Vought, who was an acolyte, Random, who was briefly an acolyte, and Peeper, who was uh, a member of that weird brotherhood he had back, uh, I want to say in the 70s, a long time ago. 
all very well done here. I, I enjoyed seeing Magneto seeing these folks and reacting. And those reactions, you know, they they went from hopeful to cynical, and it was it was really really cool. Uh, I especially enjoyed the uh, that moment I mentioned during the synopsis here, that agree to disagree discussion he had with Brand. I mean, they have different overall goals, but the path to get there shares a lot of similarities here. There's a lot of overlap in protecting Krakoa, protecting the world, and protecting the universe. It's just, uh, we just have a different endpoint here. I think Magneto would be fine letting the universe burn so long as Krakoa is okay, where, where Brand sees her mission as being a little bit more broad than that. And I appreciate that. And, I, and like I mentioned before, I hope, I hope that this is something that we rub up against. As we, as we move forward during this series I also appreciate how Ewing had turned down the snark on Brand And actually made her feel like a character that I wouldn't mind seeing more of I mentioned that uh, I always viewed her as like a lesser Maria Hill And I really, really don't like reading about Maria Hill uh, It used to be that I'd want to just like hit a fast-forward button in my brain Anytime she came on panel Here, though, I feel like uh, she was handled and portrayed quite well uh, let's talk about the art. Uh, it was wonderful. Fantastic uh, facial expressions and stuff. And I, I'm not going to try to say the artist's name here. If anybody knows how to actually say their name, please let me know because I don't want to. I don't want to say something I shouldn't. Um, wonderful expressions, though. I, I gotta say there were some times where Magneto seemed to be afflicted by like Jim Carrey rubber face a little bit. Uh, though, in fairness. That might have been intentional to depict his reaction as being somewhat exaggerated and forced. Uh, and if that's the case, then I can dig it. I can dig it if he was like trying to, trying to, you know, uh, project a certain emotionality and uh, and just looked very forced when she when he did it. That's perfectly cool. Now, overall, again, I'm mixed. Um, I really, really enjoyed the character-centric bits of this. We didn't get much of it, but we got enough of it to know that I want to see more of it. I didn't care in the slightest for the actual work that they're going to be doing. You know, the space stuff, the space MacGuffins, the shapes that they're going to collect. Really don't care about any of that. So I'm hopeful that the strong dialogue and characterization can maybe soften the blow of the high-concept space stuff enough for me to continue to enjoy this. And if you're surprised I'm coming away from this issue uh, so positive, um, well, the line starts right behind me because uh, <laughs> no one's more surprised than I am that uh, I actually kind of dug this and uh, don't mind reading another issue of it. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, that's all I got to say about the first issue of the second volume of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, I hope to hear you guys' thoughts on it. And uh, speaking of thoughts, let's hop into the mailbag. Uh, we're going to start with Evan, who's talking about Gwenpool Strikes Back. Our uh, little diversion to uh, explain how Gwenpool showed up in X of S.W.O.R.D.'s destruction. Now, Evan says, I enjoyed your coverage of the issue in the series, and I'm glad that you enjoyed the character, who I've had a soft spot for for a while. Thanks for explaining Gwenpool Prime. I always assumed the character was born from a variant cover, but never knew the particulars. And uh, yes, Gwenpool Prime is uh, came out of a variant cover for Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars. Um, number one or number two, I think. I, I don't remember the exact number, but uh, it was during a Gwen Stacy uh, variant cover gimmick that they were doing. And uh, they did a Gwenpool one, which is Basically, Gwenpool, and she's sitting in a pool on a float, uh, drinking a, uh, a drink. 
And it's just a very random cover And uh, that was her first appearance And from it sprung this very interesting, very crazy, and very wonderful character It's uh, very interesting I don't know that any other character has been born of a variant cover Um, I know for a little while, and maybe still, uh, Rob Liefeld uh, had said that his Major X character Who we you know discussed at great length on this channel Actually made his first appearance As a variant cover for an issue of Spider-Man Deadpool And I mean That kind of opens a big can of worms doesn't it uh, And I bet it could have made for a very very fun episode of Comics Talk Trying to uh, you know, discern what is an actual first appearance here Um I remember going through a price guide not too terribly long ago, and uh, I have a I have an obsession with collecting comics ephemera. I mean, I've talked about it a lot on this channel. I love grabbing old fanzines from like the '60s, '70s, and '80s. All the old comics press stuff, the Amazing Heroes is, the Comics Journals is, all that stuff. I just love it. I, I love having it on hand to look at, flip through, research in. And I was looking at my collection of Amazing Heroes uh, magazines And I was making a list of uh, all the issues that I still needed I I need probably about half of them I think there were like a hundred and and something issues I I have about half of them And I was going through just to see if, uh, if I could get like pictures of the covers here Seeing if anything stood out to me And I found out that one of the issues was very, very expensive And I couldn't figure out why until I did a little bit of research on it And I don't remember the actual number But, I suppose in an issue of Amazing Heroes from, I'm going to say, somewhere in the mid-80s, early mid-80s Was the first in-print appearance of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the form of an advertisement And people went nuts for this thing, or they, they currently go nuts for it And it made me wonder, like, what do you consider a first appearance? Do you consider it their first in-story appearance, their first cover appearance, their first cover, you know, a blurb in the back of an issue appearance? We, growing up on Wizard Magazine, we'd always get, like, like Incredible Hulk 180, Cameo Wolverine, Incredible Hulk 181, First Appearance Wolverine. It's like, well, how, how can you, how can they both be, right? I'm thinking about, uh... What was it? New Mutants 86 had a picture of Cable in the next issue blurb And then 87, there he is What's his first appearance? Um, I think that could have been a very fun comics talk discussion Just going through all the weird speculatory stuff that we do To, to you know, pump value into various pieces of uh, comics history and ephemera it's Just I think there's a lot of meat on that bone to discuss And I think it could have been a really, really good time uh, Evan continues I, I ended up reading Fantastic Four number 26 first And I was struck by how Gwen became a mutant In pretty much the same way Franklin did Wanting to be special and warping reality to do it Maybe Gwen took Franklin's spot in mutantum. I don't think it. I don't think it's that meta But I would prefer that explanation to Professor X's Quote, remember when I irrevocably damaged your dad's mind to protect mutants? Oops, I just figured out you aren't one My bad uh, Evan continues, I kid, Professor X didn't apologize Because being homo superior means never having to say you're sorry <laughs> And I'm glad you mentioned that because of the first part The first part I'm talking about here Because I didn't even put the, the parallels together there uh, Gwen did warp reality to be classified as a mutant 
we found out that Franklin did the very same thing. And I, I read those I read those stories right back to back, and I didn't put the pieces together there. That's very, very interesting. And I definitely like that idea better than the one we got, because uh, what we got kind of sucked. <laughs> and we'll talk about that a little bit more next episode in, uh, in your uh, feedback to Fantastic 426. But... Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty lazy. Evan continues. I do hope Gwen shows up in X Factor. If Polaris moves over to the X Men, there will be an opening. I hope so too. And we need to get that hashtag going here. Gwenpool for X Factor. We gotta get that thing cooking. We gotta make sure our voices are heard here. Maybe we can get a uh, get her on the ballot for uh, for X Factor if they if they want to continue this voting gimmick. I would uh, love to see it happen. Evan continues. And hey, you brought up Squirrel Girl, so I don't have to. I can't think of an X-Lapse tie-in because I believe the whole series wrapped before any Hoxes poxed or X's dawned. She was a teammate of Sunspot and Cannonball on the new and U.S. Avengers. She was also unmutanted, not as an inhuman or a kill crop. Remember that from X-Factor? I barely do. I barely do as well. Or whatever happened to Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch? I... In Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Volume 2, Number 1, which came with a legacy number 9, really, oy, her mom said that a doctor told them she was, quote, medically and legally distinct from being a mutant, and I can never take this back. I can only assume that writer Ryan North was told to make her not a mutant anymore, and rather than concoct some weird reason readers would see right through... He just Occam razored that sucker and kept on telling his story. Yet another reason why I loved that series. And hey, that's a good enough reason for me. I mean, when you don't overthink it, I think you, I think you feel more genuine in your explanation. I think that's kind of the problem with the Franklin thing. It's we need to think more about it, right? Where I guess with Squirrel Girl, it was just kind of like, yeah, just don't talk about that anymore. Here we had to actually had to draw a line under it. With Franklin, and uh, I feel like you know, it's that whole sausage being made thing. We know how the sausage is made. We know all the weird politics at Marvel, and all the weird uh, you know, holding certain properties back and pushing certain properties, and making sure there's some sort of a hierarchy because of the movies. Just uh, just say this is the way it is, and just keep moving on. So that I, I definitely think that's a good way to do it in in Squirrel Girl there. Sometimes it's just a case of, you know, it is what it is, and that's all it needs to be. That's all it needs to be. But I, I thank you so much for uh, for checking in on uh, Gwenpool there. I was hopeful that people would uh, would dig that episode, even though it was, uh, you know, quite off the beaten path and a little bit different from what we usually do on this show. Uh, when I saw that Krakoan Gate in uh, in Gwenpool Strikes Back number five, I was like, oh, got to do this one on the show. I just hope people will... Uh, I hope people will accept it <laughs> as part of the show. So thank you so much, Evan. Uh, next, we've got Nicholas, who's talking about Fantastic Four number 26. He says, maybe when this whole X era is over, you can catch up on the years of Fantastic Four runs. Maybe call it Fantastic Four Lorn, or Fantastic Forgiveness, or fan- Fantastic Four Boating, depending on your degree of anticipation. It's a shame to say, but without a strong movie or television adaptation, the Fantastic Four property has struggled to keep up with modern comics readers. I only read a few issues from the 70s, 80s, and 2010s, but have never found a solid inroad. And you know, the Fantastic Four are a hard sell. They're a hard sell, and they're a book that I, like I mentioned during that episode, I never really cared for them. They were never my favorite. Um, I came in because Chris Claremont was writing it. 
and I had fallen in love with Claremont's early X-Men work from the the essential X-Men uh, phone books. And it was like, okay, I got to check this out. If it's Claremont on a Marvel property, I'm in. And that won me over. I, I think that might be a pretty decent inroad if you are interested in checking it out. Uh, the, the Hero's Return run is very traditional. Very traditional. It does feel a little old-fashioned, but... I mean, that's just a Fantastic Four. They, they do feel like a throwback. It's one of those... Uh, they're one of those properties that I always feel like I should like more because they just feel so comic booky. They They're just like... They're everything you think about when you think about a, a superhero comic. They're bright. They're colorful. They got wonderful powers. They can go anywhere, do anything, have any sort of adventure... But it always kind of feels uh, dated Even the issue we just read with uh, issue 26 it, it kind of felt a little bit like a throwback Despite having all the modern trappings of a Marvel comic it's a, It is a tough sell um, I would recommend the Burn stuff But that really feels like a throwback um, And Burn was uh, letting his inner Claremont shine there With just how many words he was cramming into these books These pages uh, in the time it took uh, to read, like one a John Byrne issue, we could probably have read half of uh, Exitens. It's <laughs> just a lot of stuff in there. It's very good, but it is a time investment for sure. Um, another run which was good was the uh, the Wade and Waringo run from the uh, early two thousands. That was a fun one, uh, but again, it felt it feels almost too traditional. It's definitely one of the reasons why I want to give the the Hickman run another look and another shake Because, as mentioned time and again, I kind of dismissed it I read it, but I kind of hate read it Because I saw the possibility or probability that the Marvel Universe was going to reboot at the end of it Because we kept hearing about, you know, universes kind of enclosing on themselves And starting new and starting fresh And uh, there was a lot of weird stuff going on with Franklin and... I just assumed, you know, I was wrong, I was completely wrong, but I assumed that it was going to end with a New 52-style reboot, because this was right on the heels of the New 52, and, uh, I mean, if nothing else, the uh, these comic companies, the big two at least, they, they do chase each other's tail quite often, and uh, I was afraid that we were going to get a whole, we were going to get 53 number ones from Marvel in 2011, 2012 or so, so I do want to give that one another shot, um... Maybe one of these days, maybe one of these days But uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, checking out that episode That was another episode I was a little bit nervous about adding here Because of uh, how tenuous the ties to the X-Men and Krakoa are It was just a single page of Professor X acting like a jerk to Franklin But we did see Artie and Leech as well So I guess uh, I guess that's kind of an X-Men tie <laughs> Depending on if we do see them in the background of panels in Krakoa from this point on But uh I was a little nervous about including that one Didn't know if uh, folks would want to hear Thoughts on Fantastic Four Hopefully hopefully folks did And I really appreciate you checking it out And uh, and also checking in with your thoughts on the property But that is where we're going to leave it for today uh, If anybody out there would like to check in And share your thoughts on Well, just about anything You could do so very easily You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics Or you could shoot me an email Over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com you can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can check in on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. 
And you can hear all your Chris and Reggie stuff at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Uh, we are, I think we're officially in the Reign of X now. We're actually in our first book that's launched as a part of Reign of X. So uh, we're about ankle deep right now. So that's a good thing. Um, I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.